Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're new to Crossroads, welcome. Uh, it's a pretty typical service. If you had any questions about who's talking and what's going on, that's pretty much normal for everyone. And uh, if you have any other questions, ask the person next to you kind of what's going on and maybe make a friend and uh, you can be confused together. And uh, yeah, and at this time in the service, I'd like to invite you to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is continually revealed to us week in and week out through the scriptures, um, and through the testimony of believers. And uh, at Crossroads, we study the Bible together every single week, and we search the scriptures for Jesus, for uh, you know the Old Testament's longing of the Christ, and for the New Testament's inspiration of Jesus's message and life. And um, we're never going to give that up. And so, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got a whole stack of them over here in several languages. And uh, please, uh, if you do have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts. As a community, we've been studying the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we didn't know about that movie coming out. That's a pretty cool coincidence, though. Uh, hopefully it matches up with some of the stuff that we've been studying. Um, but the, uh, the life of Paul, he's, he's a big-time writer in the, in the Bible, and his ministry is chronicled in the book of Acts. So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 18. Something has been rattling around in my mind while you're turning there. It has nothing to do, well, somewhat to do with the rest of the, the message. But um, I just had this memory of, of something that happened to me back in the day. We used to have a church meet in this gymnasium uh, up the street. And uh, I remember I was at the church service, and somebody came up to me afterwards, and they looked all perplexed, and, and gosh, this was probably 10 years ago, and they said, uh, if the gospel's so simple, why do we have to go to church 52 times a year uh, to figure that out? And it's funny because that question's a little ahead of its time. I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's, I listen, I don't know, I'm just always thinking about Christian stuff and there's a lot of people who say, you know what, this church thing is messed up, it's broken and uh, we all should be able to graduate, we all should be able to get done with it and uh, why do we have to keep coming back to it and and I hear all that. I hear the voices. I know that church has its issues and every church has good things and bad things about it and, and all that stuff. Um, but I don't think it's the gospel that's the problem. I am the problem. I think gospel's simple enough, but I'm c confused. I am a complicated person. Four on the Enneagrams. Anybody ever get into that? Yeah. We, <laughs> it's hard life, all right, being a four. Um, and I think I could go to church every single week and still be, be wondering, you know, if this is true. And I, I mean, I grew up in America. And a worldview that, that says you've got to bring something to the table. You've got to get some value. Collect that for yourself and trade it with somebody else and add to it and keep contributing. And, and this is going to be part of uh, how expensive you are to this world. And, and it, you're going to matter if you can bring this value to the table. And then I go to a religion that says to me, you are good. Like, you're good. You can be a part of this. Uh, Jesus paid it all. We, you know, Jesus has got you covered. and You're welcome to be here free of charge. You don't have to in any way uh, work for this. You're welcome to bring gifts to the table. You make contributions. Do what you do, but you're safe to be here. God's not going to love you more if you do more stuff. He loves you. And that messes with me. 
No more transactions to be made with God. And that is just such a beautiful thing. And I need to hear it more than 52 times a year. I could go for 365 and one-fourth times a year. Anyways, I just never tired of the gospel. And I hope that that comes out even more, you know, as we study the Bible week in, week out together. And so if you're there in Acts 18, I'd uh, love to read this to you. Um, and if you'd stand with me, uh, if you're able to and willing. Acts 18 and verse 1. After all of this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. He met a Jew there named Aquila, native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker, and so were they, and he stayed and worked with them. But every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shouted, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility, and from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. When Paul left the synagogue, he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who uh, heard believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one's going to attack you and harm you. I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made an united attack against Paul and brought him to court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just when Paul was about to speak, Leo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making some complaint about a misdemeanor or a serious crime, uh, it'd be reasonable for me to listen. But since it involves questions and words about names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I won't be a judge of such things. So he ejected them from court. And when they turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, they beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. These are the very words of God. Amen. Very interesting, very interesting story. Um, kind of cool, that st uh, story that Rod shared last week about Paul going to Athens, because it's, it's a place that I actually know exists, like, outside of the, the Bible worldview or, or the Bible, you know, Sunday school type mindset, you know. Uh, I, I don't know about Derby and Lystra and, you know, all these towns. It's, it might as well be Narnia or some sort of, you know, Lord of the Rings plays to me. But when you see Paul going to Athens, you're like, what? This is a real town. And uh, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's exciting. And uh, what a cool story about how he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, the smartest of the smartest people in that, in that city and, and how they listened to him and some of them believed him. And this is just a really cool champion of the faith that we're, that we're studying here. So Paul moves 
50 miles uh, down the road to Corinth. It's a very different city. If you know anything about Corinth, let me give you kind of a brief introduction of, uh, of this city. Um, it's a lot bigger than Athens. It's a lot bigger than Athens and a lot more complicated. Uh, this city is, is really cool. It's been around for thousands of years because of its strategic location. It's built on an isthmus. It's not a word that I use very often, but what it means is a land bridge. And, and so if you imagine Greece, there's this uh, whole peninsula at the very bottom of Greece called the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and there's this isthmus that connects it. So that's a very strategic place to build a city because now you get to actually govern all the foot traffic that goes into this whole peninsula. You get to tax that. You get to be a tourist town. It's important. I grew up in a tourist town. I know about how important it is to have people coming through and, 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 and spending money and creating business and bringing their trade and bringing stuff to the city. It brings a lot of uh, wealth and people to Corinth through this narrow funnel that they have to go through. Not only is it the funnel of all the foot traffic in Greece, but it's only like three to five miles wide. And so if you're a merchant sailing, you have a choice. Either sail down around the peninsula, it's 200 miles. Or they'll say, you know, back in the day, if you survive that uh, voyage once, you're not going to survive it twice. Or you go to Corinth and you hire some people to grab all your stuff off your boat and carry it to the other side of uh, the isthmus and put it on another boat. Or if your boat's light enough, they can roll it across logs or carry it over to the other side. Not, not a bad trade, especially you get to stay in the city, experience some culture. At its uh, highest population, this city had estimated 750,000 people living there. Every city has been destroyed and rebuilt in the ancient world. And so at, at this time, Paul is, is going to visit a city that's governed by Rome. And this city has so many different worldviews and people and religions and backgrounds and ways to be normal. It's staggering. I mean, if Paul was, what was the word that they used in the last story? Disturbed by the idols in Athens, right? That's an appetizer to what he walks into at Corinth. Archaeology has found gods from Egypt there. Canaanite gods. Greek gods from your grandparents, Roman gods from your parents, hipster new gods uh, about Caesars, you know, and emperor worship. Everything you want's there. And Paul tries to set up a church here. Can you imagine the things that he had to untangle and go through? I hope that you read First and Second Corinthians or something soon or in the, in this week because you'll start to see all the different things that he's having to deconstruct and reconstruct and figure out. Paul has to figure out the difference between things that make a difference and things that don't make a difference. Untangling some messes. I mean, uh, imagine uh, uh, Priscilla's got a friend. She invites to church. And this gal's been going to church at the temple of uh, Aphrodite her whole life. She knows, she knows what's normal. They bring out the bread and the wine and they start to drink for communion. And, and she knows what to do with alcohol. Corinth has a reputation of being a party city, a city that, that drinks way too much and, and then sees what happens after that or uses that in their worship. And Paul has to be able to, 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 to navigate through that. 
Imagine, you know, uh, this guy that you just invited to church who has been going to the, the church at the temple to Asclepius his whole life. And the priest there, you know, suggests that you make out of clay something that uh, represents whatever hurts or whatever thing you want healed. And you bring it to them and they intercede for you. And the whole time Paul is sharing a message and he, he sees somebody in the, the, you know, next to him making something out of clay. And at the end of the service, he brings it up and it's the shape of a child. And he's like, can you pray for my son? Now what? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I guess. I, I, he's got to figure that out. Somebody's been, you know, I mean, the, the, the influx of all the sacrifices that happened here. The priests uh, formed a guild and they would go and sell extra meat that they had from burnt offerings in the marketplace. So you could buy it. Somebody comes to uh, church that night and they've got like 10 brown paper bags and they're like, hey guys, I brought dinner. I just want to bless you all. It's not five guys though. It's Zeus Burgers. It's, it's, it's Apollo dogs, right? And, and, and you got to, what do we do? I, I heard that those burgers are really good. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe this is, you know, as you start to read 1 Corinthians, you can see why Paul boils it down really quick and says, you know, when I came to you, I purposed to know one thing, Christ crucified. It takes a humble person to be able to enter into this. And, and, and Paul, more than all of his other letters, I can see him uh, boasting about his weakness in, in the Corinthian letters and, and giving lists about all the stuff that he struggles with and, and all the things that he's gone through uh, to be where he was. Um, yeah, and so I just think... Uh, this context for Paul is really interesting, and, and it takes a level of health and maturity to be able to navigate through this. But it also takes weakness. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about this vision that Paul has um, in verses 9 and 10. Because in contrast to what Rod said last week, Paul's a man of grit. He's a man of courage and bravery. He's also a man. And he's a man that has a breaking point, and he's a man that's experienced great trauma and stress. And I, I sometimes see, I mean, it, it, he even says in 1 Corinthians, uh, the Lord said to him, in, in your weakness, I am made perfect, right? I mean, he's dealing with something, especially when he's even remembering about going to Corinth. He even says, I didn't come to you with wise and eloquent words, I came weak in fear and in trembling. There's something that he's going through that I think is notable. And I know if anything about the book of Acts, it's that guidance and wisdom is shown here coming only when people need it and not before and not after. And there's a reason why Paul gets this vision, when he gets it and where he gets it. There's a reason why Jesus decided to say to Paul in Corinth in this moment, hey, I'm with you. It's not like he just didn't need to hear that. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm, I'm operating on an assumption here that Jesus felt like Paul needed to hear this. Because Paul is a normal person and he's real just like you and me. Who gets stressed out. Who, gets, uh, who has pain. Who's experienced rejection and affects him. And for Jesus to say to him, I'm with you. That's really important. And I want to just continue to reiterate that. Jesus says that to not just Paul. Do you believe that Jesus is with you? A lot of voices in this world and a lot of things that we can listen to to tell us otherwise. 
A lot of evidence gets built up in our hearts through pain, through trauma, through anxiety, and things that tell us, it worries us, you're alone. I want to just encourage you to lean into the empowering presence of Jesus that is at your disposal, that is in your life, and continue to fight for his presence to be at the center of all that you are and all that you're doing. And to continue to, to receive the voice of the Lord that says, I am with you. A couple different implications, you know, that I, that I want to work with here. One of them is, is that it, the empowering presence of Christ will guide you. So if Paul is going through something here and, and he is uh, trying to navigate through stuff, he for sure needs to be guided. And so the presence of Christ guides us. One of the things I was struck by when I first read this was when Paul just starts freaking out on the Jewish people at church. Uh, when they're, it's a little inconsistent with his character to just blow up. I mean, he gets, he gets uh, you know, argued with everywhere he goes. And only once before has he gotten this dramatic. In, in chapter 13, you might remember him and Barnabas, they're like, okay, forget about it. And uh, to shake your clothes off at somebody in his world is no joke. I mean, that's something that was developed because of the Pharisees' um, tendencies to be clean. And when they would walk through an unclean thing, like a cemetery or the home of a Gentile or the city of a Gentile, they would shake ceremonially the dust off of their uh, clothes to signify, I don't even want one speck of you on me. One even one thing will cause me to be unclean. One of one fraction of dust from you, and so imagine how offensive it would be for Paul to go to somebody in his own tribe, like another Jewish person, and shake the dust off and say, "You're that, you're that repulsive to me right now. I'm done. I don't want even a speck of you on me. I'm for, I'm going to the Gentiles from now on. It's a little dramatic." And Jesus talks about this too. You might remember with his disciples, if the city rejects you, then shake the dust off your sandals and all that. And I don't want to argue necessarily that this is right or wrong. I'm, I'm big time into boundaries. I'm big time into, you know, setting up a sustainable, safe space for you to be you. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just wrestling with Paul getting so dramatic here. I wonder if this is partially why he even needs the encouragement from the Lord or at least evidence of where he's at uh, psychologically or emotionally. Maybe it's like, like a soldier, you know, and I don't want to go straight to PS, PTSD, but he was tortured. You never seen a soldier on TV who, who, who's walking on the street and a car misfires or, or whatever and all of a sudden they tense up and, uh, you know, start to feel something from war. Well, Paul's been here before too. I wonder if, if they're starting to get kind of like intense and he just starts to, you know, his mind starts to go there of like, uh-oh, this is going to hurt. And, and then maybe through some sort of self-preservation just decides, I'm just, I'm done with this. I'm going to shut this down. Um, it seems like he's struggling. I, I, and, I, and I say a little bit of this because I don't even know if he really means it. We all know what it's like to just say stuff we don't mean. I mean, he doesn't stop talking to Jews the rest of his life. I mean, the next chapter, he's back in another synagogue. Even against all of his friends' advice, he goes to Jerusalem. I mean, he's not only talking to Gentiles the rest of his life. And so I wonder if this is just like dramatic words. 
My friends and I got kicked out of foaling the other night. It's a football throwing competition at bowling, uh, you know, pins. And go figure, you can't throw the pins at each other. We got a little rowdy and uh, words were exchanged in that that I don't think were true. I mean, they were like, you're never allowed back. Well, we're never coming back and, and whatever. It's, sometimes you just, you just say stuff and uh, you get rowdy. And, and I wonder if... Some of this, is, is this drama that Paul is going through here is, is part of that. Before we decide that we want to just cut things off with people, I just want to uh, talk about that a little bit and about inviting Jesus into that. Because, you know, I don't want to downplay it. Paul's been rejected. Paul's been abandoned. Paul's been betrayed by his own people. Anybody else ever felt like that in, in ministry? Or, or is anybody even, like, let's say experienced a Paul shaking dust off at you. It happens a lot in our culture where, where we draw these lines and we kick people out and, and we say you're, you're no longer welcome here or you're a heretic or you're this and, and we start to, to reject one another. I wonder if some of us need to reorient ourselves around uh, the, the presence of Christ in our brokenness and in our rejection and pain. And I say that because uh, we have a, a choice here. We can allow the wound to continue to be open. But open wounds are the ones that get infected easily. And an infected wound is going to start to spread throughout the whole body. And you, your witness and your example of who Christ is will be affected if you've got open wounds and, and bitterness and resentment in your life. If I know anything about Jesus and the presence of Jesus coming into our brokenness is that he's not going to seek more and more division. He's going to seek restitution and reconciliation. You know about the powerful, empowering presence of Jesus. And have you decided that I'm just going to forever be separated from my enemy? Or are you going to be like Jesus and say, no, I'm going to bring Jesus into this tension, into this brokenness, and into this drama and see what happens? The presence of Christ is going to guide you. He's going to lead you. Paul ends up getting that anyways. I mean, he wrote the chapter uh, on love in, in Corinth, to Corinth. And that's not just meant for the Corinthian weddings. And I know it's hard, but Christ says, love your enemies. He didn't, the resurrected Christ did not go to the disciples, I'm done with you for rejecting me. He probably could have, but the harder thing is, is he came in and he says, oh, look at my scars. So that happened. Anybody hungry? I'm thinking fish. <laughs> he forgave. Love your enemies, he says. You ask Paul, what does love mean? Patience, kindness, doesn't keep score. It's not celebrating wrong. Love hopes, love believes, love endures. Love your enemies. Welcome Christ into your broken relationships. Invite the presence of Christ to be central in all of this frustration and pain that you have. And he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you like a good shepherd will. Or you can try and do the shaking of the dust thing too. But that's, uh, it doesn't even work for Paul. Actually, he, he wants to be split up from them. But that's the whole point of the second half of this story. They want to be split up from him too. So they take him to court. And then what happens? 
This is a really important part of the story. They take him to uh, Seneca's brother, Gallio, a very famous person, and uh, they say, this guy's operating illegally. Why? Because if he's saying, I'm separate from the Jews, then he doesn't get monotheistic status anymore. So he's uh, just another religion that's, that has to work within their uh, pantheon. He's, he has to acknowledge all of the other gods, like Caesar. So he'd be put in a very precarious position. Inadvertently, though, Gallio says, no, you guys are all part of the same thing. Jesus has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Because the way that Paul wanted to go was to be separate from this thing, but then Jesus guided him right back closer than he ever was, and in doing so, provides him a safe place that he's not going to get harm for because he's legally allowed to be there, and he stays and heals for a year and a half. Presence of Christ guides us. You got to trust him. I've seen a lot of things in my life, a lot of relationships where I for sure was like, that's never, ever going to get repaired. And bringing Christ into it and bringing humility into it, you, you wouldn't believe what could happen, what kind of healing. Presence of Christ guides. It also, you know, it also affirms. That's the second thing that he said to him is, is Paul, keep on speaking. Keep on doing your thing. Who would have thought you'd ever have to tell Paul to keep saying things? He's got all kinds of sayings, all kinds of writings, but what would have happened? What a devastating thing would have happened if Paul would have hung it up. Do you think that Jesus said this arbitrarily, or do you think that Jesus said this to Paul because he was on the edge of maybe just saying, you know what, I've never gotten put in jail or tortured because I just helped out somebody and made a tent. I, I, I've been put into prison because of things I've said. I wonder if he's getting tempted by just to say, you know what, I'm just going to try something else. How devastating retrospectively would that have been to us? I mean, think of this. Paul is like an encouraging statement factory. Um, what's, a, what's a line that he has written that's influenced you or that's ministered to you? I've seen, yeah, I've, I've learned the keys to contentment, right? I can do all things through strength, to, or Christ who strengthens me. What's another one? <laughs> Keep them coming. <sighs> there is therefore. <laughs> there, I beseech you, brothers, therefore. Have this mind among you, it's yours in Christ Jesus. I, I mean, the lines that he comes up with. That, don't take those from me. <laughs> those have ministered to me and I've had thousands of people for so many years. You imagine what it would have been like if he would have just said, no, forget about it. It just goes to show. We've all got a niche. We've all got a choice. Are you in a place right now where you just, you've experienced some rejection, you've experienced some failure and some pushback in an area, your niche? Maybe it's not preaching and speaking like Paul, but maybe what, whatever, what is your thing? 
serving, hospitality, mentoring, doing something, uh, an act of benevolence or kindness or prayer, something that you are just, this is my thing. Have you experienced some pushback or some negative critique or some voices that tell you that you should quit, that you're not good enough? Experience the empowering presence of Christ that wants to champion you and wants to come into that and say, no, keep going. I have prepared works for you. I've got a job for you to do. You got to keep going. And, and don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with making tents. But there's a difference between tent making and healing and tent making and hiding. There's a difference between saying, you know what? I've got to do this in order to enable me to do my thing. And I'm going to do this instead of doing my thing because I've got all these excuses that I have to appease, all these mouths to fear, all these bills to pay, or whatever. And I'm going to just say, I'm not going to do what I was meant to do anymore. You have a gift. You have a niche. You have something to contribute. And, and Jesus has placed all of his reputation on us. He believes in you. He trusts you. He wants you to keep going. And his presence in your life is going to be the thing that brings you strength. Have you been doing that on your own? It's not enough to just be good at speaking or be good at doing something. It's not enough to just have an ideal and to say, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own strength. And if you have been, maybe that's why you might start to be feeling burnt out or feeling like you want, like you want to give up. But if you invite Jesus into the center of your mission, into the center of your passion, he's going to champion you. Keep that ideal there, just like Moses I'm not moving forwards unless you're with me. I don't care if it's the promised land or if it's the desert. I want the presence of God in my life, central. Jesus is for you. He's a, he wants to affirm and confirm your calling and your mission. So if you're feeling bland or hopeless or nihilistic right now, just go right to him and say, Jesus, I want you fully present in my passion, fully present in my life, and I want to feel your encouragement. Teach me how to love myself. Teach me how to love the world around me. Last thing I want to bring up is uh, not only is the presence of Jesus so encouraging and, and guiding and affirming, but the closer Jesus gets to the center of our life, the more lies are dispelled and displaced. For some reason... Jesus decided to say, I'm with you. I got a lot of other people here too. Maybe he just decided to say that. Or maybe Paul started, was starting to think like he was the only person. Paul's having a little Elijah rerun here. He's the only person, the only prophet, you know, the only guy that believes the way he believes. This matters. It really matters if you're the type of person right now or you're sitting there and you're passionate about like, uh, you know, like, Orphan care, and you think, I'm the only person. That's, that mentality and that lie starts to erode at your passion. It starts to erode at your, your conscience. It starts to make you feel more, uh, you know, depressed about trying to get out there and get back in the game. I'm the only person that, that thinks that we need to focus on this. I'm the only person that thinks we need to go to Amon Jordan. I'm the only person. It's not true. You don't know it. I don't know that it's not true, but I believe that it's not true. And so I'm at least going to believe that Jesus can and has been working behind the scenes in all of the different things that we're passionate about. 
Why would you believe it? Why would you believe that he isn't? He's saying that to Paul, you know what? I got a lot of stuff going on that you don't even know about. Priscilla and Aquila, love them. They're displaced. What happened? Claudius kicks all the Romans out of Italy. Or out the Romans. That was a dumb sentence. Uh, <laughs> the, the Jewish people. Okay, the Jewish people out of, out of Rome. Why? Suetonius writes about it. Uh, it's kind of controversial, though. So do your own research. But... He says that uh, Claudius kicks all of the Jews out of Rome because of someone named Christus, C-H-E-R-E-S-T-U-S, not Christus. And uh, so, you know, depending on which historian you ask, they'll say, you know what, you think that that's Christ, you know, people, but it's not, it's, it's Christ people, right? And it's like, okay, well, Priscilla and Aquila seem like really good Christians, um, but... <laughs> I've, I think maybe he might have misspelled it or misheard it or something, you know, because this is all going on at the same time. They're ready. They're there. They've been, God's been working behind the scenes, bringing them there. And Paul is not the only person that believes in Jesus in this town. He's got companions. And I believe that Jesus has and is still putting people into place that maybe we don't even know about. And maybe we need to just say, uh, Jesus, bring some companions to my life. Bring some Samwise and Frodo action into my life. Bring me some people that will come around me and partner with me so that I don't feel alone anymore. Who went to family meals this week? Yeah, baby. <laughs> I'll have Will come back up whenever you're ready. I got a quick story to, to share, uh, but... Take your time. I don't know. I might embellish. I'm a Christian preacher. I might embellish. No, I'm just joking. I never embellish my stories. Sometimes I don't tell them because they're so crazy. 11 years ago, I moved to this town. I don't know anybody. I had one friend, okay? And, and things were a little weird with me and him. And I was depressed. I don't know anybody. I don't have Facebook. I don't have cell phones. I don't have anything. And uh, I'm trying to go to church and make friends. And I... I'm just depressed. I call my cousin up, and we just do this all the time. We just talk on the phone, and we just complain to each other. And I'm like, Maggie, I don't have any friends, and I'm just alone in this town, and it's a beautiful town, but I can't make any friends. And she's like, well, I have a rough life, too. I've, I've had to move from, she lives in Arizona as far as I know. I have to move from Arizona to Michigan because of some drama, and, and uh, we're living in Michigan. I go, you're in Michigan? Where? She's like, I'm living in Grand Rapids. I'm like, I'm not messing with you. I'm like, where? She lived across the street from me. <laughs> I come outside, they're right there. They have a two-bedroom apartment. They welcome me in. Then they said, Dan, you want to go to church with us? I'm like, yeah. We go to some rinky-dink church in a gym up the street. Ghetto set up, and it's called Crossroads. I'm like, I don't care where it is. I just want to go to church with someone. And I'm not saying this is the standard for life. I'm not saying that that's how it always has to work. But I just know better than to think that there isn't people out there that are, will be companions to you. I know better than to think that, there, that Jesus isn't working through all kinds of ways in this world to bring us companionship and friendship and bring us uh, people who, who can encourage us. Yeah, anyways, all that pales into comparison to the reality that Jesus' last words to his disciples were what? I will be with you. 
I will be with you even to the end of the age. Is that true still or not? Is that true to people who, 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 who want to partner with Jesus? What does he say? I have sheep who are not of this fold, and they need you to get out there and, and, and to speak my words to them because they'll respond to my, to my voice. And you know what? I'm a shepherd that has a sheep in his hand. I got you. I will be with you. Is Jesus the person that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Receive the empowering presence of Christ in your life. Receive Jesus, your indelible companion, who's going to guide you. He's going to affirm you. He's going to teach you about uh, all, the, all the things that he wants you to do in this city and in this world. And he's going to be there with you. Doesn't matter if you're in Lystra or Derby or Ephesus or Corinth or Athens or Rome or Detroit or Grand Rapids, he's with you. So yeah, let's just pray about it. And Lord, if there's any of us in here that just have been uh, so overly anxious and frustrated with relationships or drama in our life and just don't know what to do and feel like pulling the plug, I just want to pray for them. To experience your presence in that. To experience the healing presence of the great physician and the great shepherd. He's going to lead you and guide you into a place, a wide open space for you to be healthy. For you to actually experience uh, love. True love. For your friends and for your enemies. Let's lift up anybody who just is feeling a little bland or feeling like they're calling or, or something is... I don't know, it's just sort of shrinking or, or depleting. Just pray for your encouragement and affirmation. There's authors or artists or writers or communicators or, or mothers or fathers or people who feel called to any of these things that you would just blow uh, your wind into their, uh, into their heart, fan their flame of the gift that you've given them so that they're white hot and ready to uh, work for you again. They'll go out uh, into this world on fire for your mission. And if anything, we need to repent of. We repent of not believing that you are with us. Because you died on the cross to tell us that there's nothing that's going to keep you from being a part of our lives. You are our great high priest who's sympathetic to all our pain and all of our suffering because you went through it. You know what it's like to feel alone. You know what it's like to be abandoned. And so you are going to be with us no matter where we are or what we're feeling. And so we receive you as that, our indelible companion that will go as far as it will take for us to know that there's nothing that will separate us from your love, height, depth, past, present, future, angels, demons, nothing will separate us from your love. And we thank you for being that for us. And we receive you. We receive your presence. Amen.